Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We're starting a series today called Focus. And uh, probably the longer title would be Focus In on Jesus. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 12, where the Hebrew writers speak into these very persecuted, this very persecuted church, and he tells them to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. Fixing their eyes, and in the Greek, that word fixing their eyes is this idea of intently looking at, of focusing in on, and it specifically, it's about focusing in on one thing and not something else. So it's the idea of focusing in on one thing and causing something else to be blurred out. You know, kind of like that on, on, your, on, on the iPhone, you have that portrait mode where you can take a picture and you get a, if, you, if you get right distance, you get a nice focus image of the face, but then the background is a little bit blurred out. And that's really the idea that the Hebrew writer is trying to communicate to us, that we are to fix our gaze on Jesus. We're to focus in on Jesus. So when you're fa- facing difficulties, when you're facing challenges in life, the goal is to take your eyes off of those things that are, that are a distraction, those challenges, those difficulties. Take your eyes off of that and focus in on Jesus instead so that we do not grow weary, so that we do not lose heart. That's what the Hebrew writer is trying to communicate. We're going to spend most of our time studying out of Hebrews 12, chapter, one, I mean, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And... Uh, uh, the next three weeks is a series leading up to Easter. And for the next three weeks, we're going to basically be looking at those three verses. That's going to be our base camp. And then we'll look at other passages in Hebrews as well to, to basically essentially encourage us, encourage all of us to not give up, to not lose hope, to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's really the goal of this series. You know, over the years as a pastor, I've had you know, many opportunities in my office to sit down with individuals or a couple and to, you know, they, they, they want to talk about some of the challenges, the difficulties that they're going through in life. And some of these challenges are enormous. Marriage crises, addiction issues, I mean, financial, you know, disasters. And we get in my office and it's almost, at the beginning of the conversation, it's almost like it's the end of the world for them. It's the end of the world. In fact, oftentimes they come into my office and they've already decided that they have quit. They're just letting me know that I've quit. It's over. It's done. It's the end of the world. And at that moment of complete hopelessness, they've lost hope. They're discouraged. At that moment of complete hopelessness, what is it that they need? What do they need to hear? I mean, I think we can all agree they they need to be encouraged somehow, but what do you say to them? Now, early on, when, you know, I used to feel that, you know, what they needed was sort of a Mr. Rogers type of rich, you know, puts on a nice, warm, fuzzy uh, sweater and sips on some comfortable sandals, you know, and, you know, puts a arm around the neck and kind of pats them on the back and says, hey, it's hard, I know, I know it's so hard. And I'm so sorry. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And just a pat on the back. And I used to feel that that's really how, how, and I mean, I generally felt that way. And I think I've done that. But over the years, my tone seems to have shifted a little bit. (laughs) 
And, um, and it's not because I'm frustrated. It's not, not at all. It's not frustration. It's more really wrestling with what is it that we need to hear when we're weary and when we're losing heart. And I've begun to shift to rather than uh, Mr. Rogers coming on and patting you on the back and trying to give you a pass to more of like a, a William Wallace with a painted face saying, don't quit, don't give up. It's hard, it's difficult, but don't quit. Stay the course. Listen, we need people around us who will comfort us, who will listen, who will sympathize. We need that. But most of us, when we're losing heart, when we're feeling discouraged, what we need is a loud, boisterous William Wallace to say, hey, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. And so in this series, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about not giving up, about not quitting, and how to have a faith in God, a faith that perseveres. Listen, this is a message that is so needed these days. There's a lot of hopelessness out there. There's a lot of discouragement out there, and you know this. Some of you are sitting here right now. You're feeling hopeless about maybe your, your relationships. You're feeling hopeless maybe about your, your financial future. You're feeling hopeless about who knows what things. There's a lot of that out there, right? There's a lot of wavering out there. And I think that we're in, when we're in that place, what we need to hear more than anything else is a strong word of encouragement, of courage. More than a sympathetic voice, more than sympathy, what we need is strength. More than, more than, you know, sort of like a comfort, we need courage. That's what we need. In fact, this is really the tone of the New Testament. Certainly, it's the tone of Hebrews. You read that through Hebrews, but it's really the tone of the New Testament. If you read the New Testament, if you understand the gospel of grace, what you will discover is that we are, as followers of Jesus Christ, in a world that is not our world. We're struggling in this world. Struggle is a part of life. We are always going to be faced with challenges. We're always, especially our faith, is going to be challenged. And the tone of the New Testament is that, but in the midst of challenge, you have hope through Jesus Christ. The encouragement is not to give us a pass. The encouragement is to give us strength and courage. You know, my daughter, Caitlin, many of you know my daughter, Caitlin, but uh, she, she went to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs and graduated actually last year. Um, the, the, it, it's a very rigorous um, endeavor. Uh, her major is astronautical engineering. That already by itself, I'm like, okay, I give up. I quit, you know. Um, that was her major. And then on top of that, there's a parallel track where you, what, what they're doing, they're academic major, but they're also doing a military major. So they're at, the parallel track is that they're doing military science. So they're learning how to be a military person while at the same time getting a degree, and in her case, astronautical engineering. And so her routine was, was very, very rigorous. She'd get up often, most days before 6 a.m. in the morning to do some military duties and then go to class around 8 uh, and it was just engineering classes all day long. Some of these classes, she would tell me what the classes were, and I'm like, I have no idea what that, I don't, the I don't even understand the title of the class, much less what the content of the class would be. And, uh, and that would go on all day long, and then the class would end, and the classes would end, and then she'd have to change into her gear, her softball gear, to go practice softball in the afternoon, come back from that, 
and then go more, some more military duties at the end of the day, and then it was study from 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. in the morning because there was an exam the next day. There's homework due or whatever, and that would be five days a week. And so it wasn't surprising that she would call every once in a while and with tears. <laughs> and it was just, it was hard. It was hard, you know? I can remember nights where she would call and she was crying and, and she'd talk about how difficult it was. I mean, she was legitimately overwhelmed. She was legitimately tired. And this is my baby girl. This is our youngest, right? And so I have three boys and... You know, and it was maybe a little bit different with them. I might be able to say, yeah, I tough it up, you know. But my baby girl, man, I, 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 she, she probably was looking for encouragement. She probably wanted me to love on her and just to give her a pass and to say something like, it's okay, Caitlin. You don't have to stay there. You can come home anytime. But instead, <laughs> I would give her a little speech. She would probably call this speech the suck it up speech, <laughs> you know, because it started, it started with suck it up and it ended with suck it up, you know. And it was like, I, I recognize, yes, this is hard, this is difficult, but listen, if you quit, you're going to regret it. If you quit, if you, if you walk out of this, you're going to walk away saying, I wish I would have done something else. And so just hang in there, don't give up. Let me tell you something, I, in my life, I've met a lot of people. My daughter, Caitlin's one of the strongest individuals I know. She has been through incredible challenges and difficulties and has overcome. And today she's a second lieutenant in the Air Force and she's studying, she's training in pilot school right now. No, no response there, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is, don't quit, right? Now listen, from time to time, this is what a lot of us need to hear in our lives. We need courage spoken into our hearts. We need courage spoken into our souls. More than comfort, more than just relax and take a break. What we need is somebody to say, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I looked up the word encouragement this week. Just kind of, I know what it means. I, and so commonly, if I, if I was to say to somebody, hey, why don't you go encourage your wife or go encourage your husband? Our common definition for the word encouragement is to go and say nice words that make a person feel good. Right? That's the... Typical definition of the word encouragement, right? To encourage is to go and say, hey, you look really nice today. Your hair looks, you know, men, I, I, I totally dropped it this week. We're sitting next to each other in bed, my wife, and she goes, do you like my hair? And I totally missed it. I should have like seen her hair hours earlier, said, oh, your hair looks really nice, Christy, nice haircut. But I didn't see it. She had to remind me, right? So we think oftentimes encouragement is this idea of saying something nice to somebody to make them feel better. But actually the definition of encourage is actually to fill with courage, to fill with strength. This is God speaking to Joshua when he's trembling and he has to face the city of Jericho and he's scared, he doesn't know. And God says to Joshua, he says, listen, be strong and very courageous. That's encouragement. Be strong and very courageous. Not Joshua, don't worry, forget Jericho, we'll, we'll get to it later. That's not what God says. He encourages Joshua by saying, be strong and very courageous. Step into your fears, step into what's difficult, because I'm on the other side, essentially, is what God is telling him. So encouragement is better defined as speaking words that fill a soul with courage. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to talk about as we go through Hebrews 12. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, therefore... 
This is the Hebrew writer. We don't really know who the Hebrew writer is. We don't have an actual name for this person, but um, there's a lot of speculation. But let's just say he's the Hebrew writer. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We're going to get into some of this stuff in the weeks to come. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this. Consider him. Consider him. Talking about Jesus. Think about him. For our language, focus in on him. Okay? That's our language in this series. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that, so focus in on him so that, where's my so that? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I suspect that there are some of you sitting here right now that you're weary. You're weary about your marriage. You're weary about your finances. You're losing, you're losing heart about your children and the choices they're making in life. And the answer to that is not to simply pat you on the back and give you a pass, say, oh, that's okay, Don't, we'll, we'll figure something out. No, the answer is consider him, focus in on him. Focus in on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Our faith. See, the implication here that this Hebrew writer is addressing is that some people may be losing heart. Some people have been growing weary. They're tired. They're, they're, he knows this. He knows that they're going to be tired. He knows that they're, going to be, that they're going to be struggling. He knows that they're going to be discouraged. He knows that they're going to be overwhelmed. They're going to feel beat down. He knows that about them. And so what does he say? What's the first thing he says to them? Remember the witnesses. Remember the witnesses. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... The word therefore is a conjunction word, all right? So when you see this, you know that you have to read what was in front of it so you can understand what was, what's behind it, right? Therefore, so he's pointing to Hebrews chapter 11, which is commonly called the, the hall of fame of faith, right? These, these people who, who lived story after story of these people who lived incredible lives of faith, Despite the circumstances they went through, despite the impossible odds, they lived these amazing lives of faith. This is, he describes them as this great cloud. Let me talk a little about that word cloud for a second. The, the word cloud, <clears throat> this word cloud here can be, it has several New Testament Greek interpretations. It can mean like, for example, a cloud in the sky, like a formed cloud in the sky that you see. And so you can imagine, if you see it in the, in the context of this verse, you can imagine it's like, oh, there's clouds, different clouds that are kind of looking down on us. But that's not really what this word is talking about. This word is more of an all-encompassing type of cloud, no, form, no real form to it, kind of like fog. And so what the Hebrew writer here is telling us is that we are surrounded. You know how a fog can be? We are surrounded by these witnesses. So if you feel alone, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like you're losing heart, just know that you are surrounded. You can't see them, but they can see you. They have gone before you. They have walked the life of faith, and they're now living an example for us to live. 
He calls them witnesses. Let's talk a little bit, little bit about that word witness. Witness, you know, commonly defined means someone who sees something. Say so witness is a person who sees, like maybe an eyewitness in a crime, right? And so if you think about this kind of interpretation for a witness, and you're thinking about maybe that there are these, this great cloud of people these, that are watching us, like they're in this big stadium, and they're, we're out, and we're in the middle of the stadium, you know, competing, and they're just sitting on the stadium, just cheering us on. That's been the, the common interpretation for this passage, that they're up, up there cheering us on. But there's a little bit of a problem with that interpretation, because the Bible tells us that in heaven, when we die and we go to heaven, that there is no tears, there is no sadness, right? In fact, the Bible tells us that our complete focus will be on the majesty and the glory of God, that we will spend the rest of eternity in awe of who God is. And so it's hard for me to understand my abuelita, for example, my grandmother, sitting in an audience in a stadium crowd, looking down at me, agonizing, and her not feeling sorrow for me. Another way of interpreting this, or another possible meaning for this idea of witness is someone who says something. Someone who speaks. And I think really this is what the Hebrew writer is trying to tell us about these witnesses. This cloud of witness are people who are speaking to us. They're saying something to us. And it's all found in Hebrews chapter 11. They're speaking. In fact, I lean towards that because there's a Greek word called lalon. It's the Greek word is lalon, which means speak. And it's used five different times in Hebrews chapter 11. Like, the, like these witnesses, these, these heroes of the faith are actually speaking to you and me. An example of that is found in Hebrews 11.4. It says, Abel, it's one of, the, uh, one of the heroes of the faith, Abel still speaks. Another way of saying that, he still testifies. He still witnesses to us. Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. He's gone, long gone, but he's still speaking to us. This is really what I believe that uh, these witnesses are doing. And so if they're speaking to us, what are they saying? What do you think the witnesses are saying in in Hebrews chapter 11 to us? What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through several of these witnesses, and I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't have enough time for for them. I'm just going to pick a few and, um, and see what they're actually saying to us. In verse 7, for example, we have Noah... It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, uh, warned about things not yet seen means that, like, he's been told there's going to be this incredible flood, but Noah has never seen torrential rain. He's never seen the rain. When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Noah, by faith, builds an ark. Now, you might think, well, what, what, what kind of faith does it take to build a boat, right? You might feel that way. And it's understandable to feel like it's just a boat, right? You know how long this project took, this building project took? Anybody know? You can guess. You can shout out. 100 years, closer. It was 120 years. That's a, that's a long, long building. Have you ever remodeled anything at your house? Right? Okay? Like I remodeled a bathroom down in my basement and and I started I you know, I tore out walls, I tore out toilets and everything, you know, tore out the floor, we're gonna put a new floor down and all that. 
and, and then very quickly ran into some problems, some plumbing problems, and I didn't know what to do, and it just sat there for a while. And after three months, Christy's like, well, well, it's been three months. Come on. This building project is not going fast enough. Let's get moving. <laughs> this guy, it took a, I don't think we would make it 120 years. We would be divorced five times by then if it took us 120 years, right? I mean, this is incredible. It's a long, long time. They're building this boat for this potential flood when they've never seen rain. And then there's people around them, these haters that are continually trying to discourage them and mocking them and making fun of them. I mean, and yet, what does Noah do? He keeps going. He keeps building. He keeps working. He keeps doing it. So I think Noah might say to us as a witness, as one who speaks to us, as he sees us, you know, running our race and speaks to us, he would say, hey, I know you're tired. I know you're tired. I know the progress is slower than you expected, but keep working. Don't stop. The rain will come. I don't know what rain looks like, but the rain will come. I think a lot of stories in the Old Testament seem to underline this this truth about, about God. That God is, he's rarely, rarely early. Right? I mean, you can say amen to that. God, you're never early. What's up with that? Right? But he's never too late. Throughout scripture, there's a truth about that. He's rarely early, but he's never too late. I know that some of you are having a hard time hearing me say what I'm saying right now. Because in your walk with God, you feel let down. In your walk with God right now, you feel like, God, you haven't come through. I've been praying about this for months, for years now, and you haven't come through. God, I've been, I've been faithful doing it day after day after day after day. And God, what in the world? Why isn't it happening yet? And you might feel that way, and I get it. Things aren't going the way you sh- they should go right now is how you feel. And so faith, I think Noah would say, faith is sometimes waiting and I know you don't like hearing that. None of us like hearing that. I don't. You can ask my wife. I hate the word wait. That's just not my, not my favorite word. But sometimes faith is waiting. You're not really sure how it's all going to come together. But just, you just keep being obedient to what God has called you to do. You just keep doing it over and over and over again. And that's hard for us because, see, we, how many of you like operate by a calendar? You have a weekly calendar you have to follow, you know, you have schedules, you have meetings, you have whatever going on. I, I, I do that. And um, <clears throat> I think sometimes what we think, the way our relationship is with God is that we think that what we do is we, we put God on our calendar. And then we expect God to wake up in the morning and look at our calendar and decide what he needs to do for us today. That's not how it works. God has his own calendar. And sometimes it's What faith is, is for us to get in tune with the calendar that God is working with. And that is really, really hard for us sometimes. So Noah would say, hey, while you're waiting, just keep working. I know you're tired, but don't give up. I know it's been trying. I know you've been trying to rebuild your marriage, and it just doesn't seem like it's working. 
Doesn't seem like it's working. But don't give in. I know you've been trying to be a witness at work and it seems like it's just falling on deaf ears and it seems like they're just not listening to you and it seems like they're even mocking you and they're, they're isolating you. And just, but, but Noah would say, just keep going. Keep working. Verse 8 tells us about Abraham. How God told Abraham to pack everything up and to go to a place, you know, another country to live, a different country to live. But he didn't tell him where to go, right? And so Abraham is like, okay, so where am I going? <laughs> and God's like, I'll show you on the way. Again, th- I, you know, I, that's why you don't read Rich's name in Hebrews chapter 11. Because that would be really hard for me, right? A 120-year-long building project and then go to a place and you have no idea where you're going. I mean, that would be really, really difficult for me. And yet, this is how, this is how Abraham responds to that. In verse 8, it says, he went without knowing where he was going. In other words, he obeyed without knowing where he was going. And that takes faith. And ask Christy, when, I, when we travel, man, I, I have a plan. Like I've said, there's sometimes like we're driving to Dallas, and I know that five hours from here is halfway, or not halfway, it's a little less than halfway, but it's Kansas City. I'm like, yeah, you know, we should leave early in the morning, get there by lunch, and have barbecue at this place, you know? I, that's how I plan it, right? Like I'm a, I'm a planner, so this whole thing of go, even though you don't know where you're going, that would be really, really hard for me. And for some of you, that's precisely where you are. You're trying to be obedient to God. In fact, you're pretty sure that you're going in the right direction, but you just don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know where that's taking you. You don't know how long it's going to take to get there. You know you're going in the right direction. And God's not telling you the place you need to end up at. That's faith. That's faith. That's trusting him. The Bible tells us of Sarah, his wife, in verse 11, it says she, 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 finds out, well, she finds out that she's going to be a mother, and she's going to have a son, and the son's going to be the father of many of a nation, right? But the Bible also tells us about Sarah, that she was old and barren, okay? That's how the Bible describes Sarah. And then it also tells us about Abraham, that he was as, as good as dead. <laughs> as good as dead and old and barren are not a great combination for conception, to have a child, right? And yet, this is how Sarah responds to this promise that God gives in verse 11. She believed that God would keep his promise. I mean, it made no sense on paper. It made no sense at all. In fact, if you were telling me that I would, Pastor Rich would probably be saying, yeah, maybe not. I would be the one discouraging you. But God spoke, and when he says he will do something, guess what? He will do what he says. And so the challenge is to not give up when when you don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. I think sometimes we have this fear of the future, right? Like we don't know where we're going. Like Abraham, we don't know where we're going, and it kind of paralyzes us. And instead of continuing to walk, we stop, and we don't go any further. And in the Christian faith, when you stop, you're not stopping. You're actually declining. In the Christian faith, you're always supposed to be moving towards him. I think that's why 
the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 11 starts off with verse 1, and he says, defining faith, he says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and confident of what you do not see. That's faith. Sure of what you hope for. So what are you hoping for? What are you longing for? Sure of that. And confident of things that you don't see yet. They haven't materialized. It hasn't happened yet. But I'm confident in that, right? You don't know the future. You can't see how it's all going to fit. But you keep moving forward. Um, Christy and I, we were down in uh, Louisiana last week. And on our way back, we stopped at, um, at a hotel in St. Louis where we spent the night. Got in there kind of late, you know, and checked in and lay down and turned the, turned the TV on. And it was on the 2018 Winter Olympics. And it was specifically, it was the snowboarding event, right? And so we started watching it, you know, and before long, I'm hearing snoring next to me. <laughs> she, she's going to be like, I don't snore. <laughs> um, but I kept watching, you know, and it was interesting. I was, as I'm watching this, I, they, the commentators had mentioned how, we're talking about how the importance of being like fourth, fourth, fifth, and sixth in the lineup of the event. And what they were talking about is how these athletes, they, especially in the Olympic type of athletes, they are not allowed to practice the course before the event. They can walk it, they can study it, but they can't actually run it. It's, I guess it's considered cheating. I don't know. And so, and so there's an advantage of being number four, five, and six in the lineup because if you're number five, maybe a teammate of yours has already gone before you. And as they go down the slopes, they're able to radio back up and say, hey, listen, that is a tight, tight turn that's going to hit to the right. Make sure you, 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 make sure you take a good angle at it. Or it's very, very slick on the way down, so be very careful. They're radioing ahead, letting them know of what they need to be aware of. And I think that's exactly what's happening here in Hebrews chapter 11. These, these heroes of the faith, they finished the race, and they're calling up and saying, hey, that's a sharp turn. Hey, listen, you expected this to go fast, but it's going to go very, very slow. Hey, I know you're trying to fix the marriage. Keep working at it because it's not going to go as fast as you think it's going to go. Man, I know saving and being frugal and, and tithing and all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of discipline. It seems like it doesn't pay off fast enough, but just keep going. Keep going. It'll pay off. It'll pay off. This is what they are doing. This is, they're speaking to us, they're encouraging us not to quit. These witnesses are speaking to us and telling us you can have faith because we've run the race ahead of you. We know the turns. We know everything about it. And you could trust what we have to say. So Abraham and Sarah, I think they would say to us today that even if you don't know, even if you don't know where he's leading you or when that's going to happen or, or how it's going to happen, you can still trust him. Don't stop. Keep walking forward. Verse 22 tells us about Joseph in this cloud of witnesses. You know the story of Joseph, this coat of many colors. We know about that, that story. He has his dream, right? And in his dream, he's going to be famous. In his dream, he's going to be successful. In his dream, he's going to do amazing things. But then everything comes crashing down, right? And it's not even his fault. He was a victim. His own brothers sell him into slavery. Then he's accused of a crime he did not commit and goes to prison for seven years. It's like crazy. How can this be? Joseph 
If you study his life, he kept faith. He didn't feel sorry for himself, though he could have. He didn't complain, though he could have. One of the things that will happen to you as you listen to what these witnesses are telling you is that you'll gain perspective of what it means to walk the Christian walk. This is an important word. It's a word, honestly, that I don't think oftentimes people really use very well in their, in their daily walk with Jesus. Perspective. We are so accustomed to being an instant culture that we never look at history or rarely look at history to understand where we are today. Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones going through what we're going through or feeling the way we feel. Like nobody has ever done this before. But what we're learning through these heroes of the faith is actually people have gone through this before. People have felt the way you have felt. People have experienced the things that you have experienced. And they've made it. And now they're speaking to us. They're challenging us. We were missionaries in, in Bangladesh. And I've met people who really were persecuted, extremely persecuted for their faith. There's a guy named Akish that he became a believer. He was a, a, a Muslim. He became a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, his family, because, because he had done this, were very angry. And so they, they sent some uncles and some cousins basically to rough him up. And they beat him up very badly. Then they hung him from this bamboo, this bamboo rod, kind of a pole that was up high, hang him from it, stripped him naked, hang him from, hung him from that. And then they got bricks and they tied him to his testicles because they wanted, they, they were saying basically, if you're going to be a Christian, you're not going to, you're not going to be the father of any Christian men. And left him for dead. I haven't had the opportunity to be with Akish very much. I've met him only one time. But I guarantee you, if I'm around Akish, like you, if I'm here, it might be a different story, but if I'm around Akish, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> right? Like, I'm not going to say to him, man, you can't believe I got this nasty email from this church member. I just feel so hurt. Because Akish is not going to care. Akish is going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, Rich. You got a, a nasty email? I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I was beaten almost to death. You see, what Akish's life is for me, it's perspective. We need perspective. We need to understand that we're not the only ones going through what we're going through, and it's not the first time anybody has gone through what we're going through. And so we need to listen to the witnesses, those who have gone ahead of us. <clears throat> I think sometimes it's easy to become a victim in the story that we're living. It's easy to get caught up in this victim mentality. And so I think if Joseph was going to say something to us today, he would say, stop feeling sorry for yourself. I know that's hard to hear. I know what was done to you wasn't right and it wasn't fair. I know that what you're going through, it hurts, and it hurts a lot. I know that. But this is not the end of your story. Your story is still being written. Your story is still being written. So keep moving forward. Keep pressing ahead. Have faith and don't give up. Listen, there's a lot of stories in Hebrews chapter 11. I don't have time to go through them. There's stories of people who actually, like, 
You might hear me talking about this and you think, well, yeah, but man, Rich, those are like these heroes of the faith. I mean, they're just men and women of God. I'll never measure up to that. But there's also stories of people who blew it in Hebrews 11, people who made some bad, bad choices, wrong, wrong choices, mistakes, and yet their stories are still written. So I'd encourage you to go back to Hebrews and maybe read through Hebrews chapter 11 and, some of the, and, and encourage you to not just read Hebrews 11, but then read the corresponding story in the Old Testament so we can gain perspective, amen? So that's all Stan. I was thinking of what these heroes of the faith might say to us collectively. Like we know what Noah is saying. We know what Abraham might be saying. We know what Joseph might be saying. But what would they say as a group, right? If I... If you look at Hebrews 11 as a whole, what would all of them say to us today? Life Church. Imagine, imagine that they are all standing up here and they're looking at you and they want to give you some encouragement. I think we've already discussed one. I think what they would say very clearly is, don't quit. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know the challenges that you're facing. I don't know the, 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 the relational challenges you might be facing, the fi financial challenges you're facing. I don't know what they are. I don't know what your schooling, maybe you're in school, and man, this has been a terrible year for, for education, you know, and you're just kind of struggling through, how do I, you know, go through this whole thing? My, you know, my, my son down in Tennessee is doing rotations for his PA program, and, and it's like, you know, he's having to do all this protocol stuff, and it's been difficult for them. And you might be going through some challenges right now. And I think that these witnesses will speak to us and they will say, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't quit. Something else, though, I think they might say to us. And this is really something that we need to hear. Because it's too easy sometimes for us to believe stories from the Bible that God did this and God did that and God, you know, just all these amazing stories in the Bible, but then we divorce ourselves. We divorce our own experience from what they, what they experience and then we basically are faithless about our own life. We don't recognize that God is actually working in us. And so I think in a very loud, boisterous way, I think these Hebrew writers would look at us today and they say, listen, we've run our race. We have fought the faith. Some of us have died because of the faith. Some of us have found amazing victories because of faith. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Some of you might have to die because of the faith. Some of you are going to experience an amazing victory because of your faith. But now it's your turn. So I think what, he was, what they would say to us today, if they were here right now, this is what I think they would say. They would look at us and they would say, don't leave this room today. Hearing about the things that we have done, the faith life that we have lived, don't leave this room here today and then say, yeah, that's not going to happen for me. Now it's your turn to live that life of faith. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I just want to thank you, God. For what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Father, for, for everything that you're doing in our hearts. God, you are calling us. You are rallying us to listen to these witnesses. There are individuals in this room, Father, who are struggling in their faith. They're struggling with their marriages. They're struggling with their children. They're struggling in, in a variety of different places, Lord God. They're struggling right now.
And some of them have already decided to quit. Some of them decided to give up. And so Abraham speaks to us. Noah speaks to us. Joseph speaks to us. Ruth speaks to us. Even, even Rahab speaks to us. Don't quit. Don't give up. It's your turn now. God, will you speak? Will you challenge us? In Jesus' name, amen.